The Athletic. On the 1st of October, thousands of Indonesian football fans visited the Kanjurahan Stadium to watch their beloved Arema football club take on fierce rivals Persebaya. Defeat for the home side led to a pitch invasion, which then escalated as tear gas was fired onto the pitch and into the stands by police. As hundreds of fans fled, several locked exits led to a crush. At least 131 people never returned home. The Athletics' Adam Leventhal has been in Malang reporting on one of the most tragic sporting disasters in history. And please be advised that the following contains details that you may find disturbing. One of the most evocative images here at the stadium when you look in through the gates where so many people perished is that that it is almost an enshrined crime scene that hasn't been touched. There's still investigations going on inside the stadium and the thing that really sticks out when you see them, it just changes everything because you see the shoes that have been left behind and you can only presume that those are the shoes that were left behind by people who passed away. You see an Adidas trainer, a a flip-flop here on another step. And then outside one of the gates, a little red crock that's just been laid there in memory of the child that has been lost. And so many lost their lives in this tragedy. 31 children were amongst the 131 people that died here on October the 1st. It was a tragedy that not only broke families, but it also just ended futures. It is really, really one of the most awful things that's happened at a football stadium. This is the Kanjurahan Stadium and I'm here at the the epicentre really of the disaster and I just wanted to paint the picture for you because although you have the, the buzz as you always do of mopeds there is a silence and I'll just head up this staircase which just uh, joins the, the perimeter road which goes all the way around the stadium and in front of me I'm at gate number 12 there is a deep pile of rose petals and different flower petals that have been laid here where so many people lost their lives in the tragedy on October the 1st. There are scarves which have been attached from various different teams, not just Arema, which is the home team here, but from rival teams like Persebaya, who Arema were playing on that fateful night. They lost 3-2 against their their great rivals. There was no away fans, um, but there are reminders that this isn't about rivalry, this is about humanity and away fans have draped their flags over these railings and uh, football just feels a very very distant thing at the moment. Well Andreas is is here, here I guess just to pay your respects. Yes, uh, because uh, there's uh, my friend 
uh, also died in this uh, tragedy and then uh, but uh, my concern here is uh, it's not a fault but the uh, supporters who go down to the field but uh, supporters in the tribune they wait they just waiting to go home they just waiting uh, the gate open then suddenly tear gas shot to them you can imagine how about the panic yeah the site here at gate 13 of the Kanjuraham stadium is probably the most vivid of the struggles that people had to try and make their way out of the crush they'd been tear gassed in the stands there had been surges towards various staircases but this was the one where there was the greatest loss of life. Inside, on the stairwell, the blue wrought iron banisters have been ripped from their housings. They're now dangling down to the sides. The reason I can see inside is because a window all the way through has been created by those inside and those outside that tried to break through the brickwork window that was already there to try and then lift people out and to try and save as many as possible. The gate is bowed outwards due to the pressure that was put on it from behind. Yeah, so you can imagine they try to go out. Uh, at the front of them, uh, the gate is closed. Back of them, tear gas. Yeah. Thousand people try to go out. Yeah, so you can imagine the, the panic of them yeah who did you who did you lose what were their names uh we lost the fakri yeah which is uh, our friend in uh, it's one of the supporters we stand here it is in the tradition of our muslim here we give from the prey after seven days 40 days and yeah. we, we will keep uh, give a prayer for them. Feels like this will never be, never be forgotten, will it? Unforgettable. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's unforgettable. It's just a, a tragedy. It's not between supporters with the supporters. Supporters again, police. Another of the key elements of the story was the fact that ambulances really struggled to get into the stadium when they were needed the most. I wait information from the from the policeman. Okay. Because is that the local police or yes, local police. Local police. Okay. Because I don't want uh, any victim from the paramedic. From the side of paramedic. So they they wait wait only wait. Wait, there are any six ambulance. So they waited? Wait, wait. Until we have a comment from police officer. Police officer uh, give the information about the uh, one hours 12 or something, 12.30. Yes, like that. So uh, I think about the one hours, one, one hours, we wait until the ambulance can can go to the yeah. stadion hospital, stadion, stadion Kanjuruan.
Yeah. Yeah. There is only one route into the Kanjurahan Stadium. There's only one wide road. It is probably, what, 20, 30 metres wide. However, on match day, similar to how it is now, it is very, very easy to become congested with cars and motorbikes, and it would have been even more busy due to the chaos that was unfolding, the clouds of tear gas that were not only inside, but outside as well. And the Persebaya players, who were pretty protected because they are the great rivals of Arema, they were almost prioritized and the police made the decision to get them into their armored vehicles. There were two of them just um, outside the reception of the VIP area and they were bundled into those black armored vehicles and driven away. And all that time we heard from the director of the RSUD hospital, um, which is not that far away, it's the closest hospital, just about half a mile away. He had six ambulances standing by from around about half past ten. And they didn't get in until half past midnight. Elmiati went to the game with her husband, Rudy, and her three-year-old son, Verdi. She was the only one to return. I hope the police will be far more careful in their actions in the future. They can't let anything like this happen again. They can't cause this many casualties again in a football match. My son and my husband have been lost. I'm broken and grieving. But what choice do I have but to go on? The key thing now is that fans will want answers. They will want justice for their loved ones. They will want to see punishment for those that were at the center of driving this pretty regulation post-match situation into the, the jaws of hell, which it became very, very quickly. As the mayor here in Malang said, this wasn't something that happened over the course of hours. It accelerated over minutes, just minutes. So many lives were lost. So the last time that I saw you was on Tuesday. This is your shop. Yes. Next to gate number 10. Yes. And your name, what's your name? Nanang Effendi. Just a few, few days after what happened here. Okay. And I must say, we know that there has been a, a huge tragedy, uh, a life-changing event for a lot of people. But it does feel, even now, a week on, things are starting to move forward a little bit. How are you feeling now? <clears throat> uh, now. Life is must to go on first, and uh, we have to be uh, strong human from the heart, from the mind, and this is why we are try to uh, make our our community 
to be to be strong again, strong again, and strong again. So just next to my hotel is the town hall here in Malang City. It's actually where the crisis centre was set up uh, in the hours that followed the disaster. It's where people could come and find out information if they were missing loved ones. It is also a place where those that have died are listed on the wall. There is one column which is for those that have unfortunately passed, those that are currently recovering in hospital and then also those that have been released and have luckily been able to go home. The music that you can hear in the background is Hadra music which is traditional Muslim music and the sight this evening is quite a scene. It's a sea of white hats and white robes and this is Muslim prayer night. It is soon to be the Prophet Muhammad's birthday and this is a night of celebration. They do it around about once a month here for various different reasons and various different celebrations but they are celebrating a big birthday in the Muslim faith and it is quite poignant actually because we've had a transition around this roundabout and it's dedicated to people rather than cars this evening. Every evening we have seen Arema fans here dressed in black. It is a traditional colour that they wear to support their team but the black has obviously been fitting due to the disaster that happened at their stadium but now this white almost feels as if it is a step forward a step to the future and hope it feels like hope here in Malang and I guess that's that's all we can have now after the deep depths of despair that we've seen it's a distressing listen the article is a distressing read adam but i would urge people listening to us to go and read it in full a few days on from writing it of putting everything together um what's the latest well there is such a, a huge flow of information as you would expect coming out from um the various stakeholders in this in this disaster um and those are the people that were involved uh the families that have been impacted the authorities then the the police um and various elements of the police you know there's the local there's the regional police um you then have the the government as well and then you have an independent element to this as well who were looking at what the government did and and what the police did so there is so much information coming out. It's now trying to work out the pertinence of that information because there is a, a political battle that is going on in terms of what the truth actually is. But piecing it all together, and we did, you know, in the, in the piece that has already been released and there will be more coming on The Athletic, um, is trying to piece it all together. And I think we're getting closer to, to finding out exactly what happened and, and who made the errors in all of this because clearly there were huge catastrophic errors made in a in a sort of a cascade of intervention from from ultimately the authorities who were responding to um an initial move from the fans but 
this happens in Indonesia. There is interaction. There are clashes between police and, and fans, but it never escalates to this degree. Are the government taking charge of that investigation? Is that, We are right at the very top now. I mean, because you mentioned the different levels of police there as well. Um, the country, which you spoke about towards the end of the piece, has this collective desire for justice, absolutely understandably. Um, this is being led right from the very top of the country, is it? Yes. And I mean, I'll, I'll be frank, there is, there's a political side to this as well, obviously, you know, in terms of Indonesia, we'll probably mention a little bit later on about the fact that FIFA are keeping a close eye on this because there's supposed to be a FIFA tournament coming up next year in, in 2023, the, the FIFA Under-20 um, World Cup. So there is an image element. However insensitive that sounds, there is a, an image um, consideration for the president, Joko Widodo. And before I come on to what they are doing, it was it was staggering, to be brutally honest, and ironic to a, to an immense degree seeing the president visit within four days of this tragedy and the the military precision which surrounded his visit if only things had been organized this well on october the 1st at the kanjurahan stadium if if only so much care and attention about exactly where the police were placed where the army were placed the actions that they were going to take, the Secret Service being there as well. It was it was like nothing I've seen for, for quite some time. Even in this even in this country, sometimes you see politicians driving around, you know, in in London, and they're just in a couple of cars. This entourage was huge, like literally 40 to 50 cars surrounding the, the president. And he came in and it was all shut down and all this sort of stuff. And you just think. Wow. Okay. When when you need things to be done properly, they happen. They happen, and that now seems to be the approach from the government. It, this seems to be a huge reality check. Yes, I've mentioned the image, and that is a consideration as well. But this is a this is a reality check. Why could this have happened? Exactly what happened? And their first front foot position is right. Suspend the league. They've also ordered an an audit of all the stadiums to ensure that all the facilities, yes, with a, with a view to that FIFA tournament are coming up, but also to the league going on, um, you know, they have, they've ensured that this is going to happen. They've set up um, the joint independent fact-finding team, which is made up of a whole, whole host of connected people, former police Men, um, government advisors. There's even you know like a sports journalist that's involved with that, and other safety officials and and pressure groups as well. They are all involved in this, so it seems as if it is a, a quite a well-rounded approach to to a, a huge disaster. They've gone through you know the, the the top line figures ultimately of of how many people were impacted by it, and at the moment the current count is seven hundred and five people. Um, were either injured or killed. So 130 dead, 575 injured. And I must stress that it feels like these are minimums. Mm. And one of the um, medical professionals that I spoke to during the investigations that I was doing used the phrase, this is an open disaster. And something that 
we're never necessarily really going to know how many people actually died just simply due to the the circumstances and some people would have come to the stadium and died and will have been taken home by their families and they will never be on an official record which is just which is just unimaginable unimaginable and look in terms of the the government sort of action it's trying to find out that timeline analyzing the CCTV and then working out of the decision makers who made these catastrophic calls along the line the the background to this game which isn't in the first part of the pod but but is in uh, your article is that this game was played uh, against the backdrop of the authorities and the police in particular wanting it to be played earlier the 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 kickoff the kickoff time the authorities wanted earlier even though away fans weren't weren't present um and without without sort of casting aspersions the feeling then from the article is that that the fact that that wasn't allowed and they went ahead with the original kickoff time probably meant that the authorities and the police were on edge yeah i i think so that you know, you look at the two things, and they're they're interconnected. You you know, if if you've got a police force that are wary, then when there are the first signs of of trouble, and let's be you know completely frank about this, that the and we said it in the piece, and I think the fans accept this as well. That you know, if you do invade the pitch, you do invite a response, and that initial response on the pitch was sort of a standard response. It seemed like you know. They got close to the players, and then the police became a little bit more wary. Pitch invasions are, initial... are a common occurrence in within the within yes. the country and the league. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there is um, a, a, f- a completely different environment, really. You know, obviously, if we have a pitch invasion in this country, and obviously towards talking about England, um, you know, and we had incidents towards the end of last season where it was eye-catching and it was you know we have had people injured on the pitch and, and things like that but that was as far as it ever went really um and then you look at what happens in indonesia and the environment around teams you know for example some teams they don't all live in different places in their in their homes um some of the teams will sort of live in a campus altogether, and sometimes the fans will actually go to those campuses and and you know f- protest against the team and they put a lot of pressure on the on the team so when that happens at at games often they do invade the pitch but then they will be told to get off the pitch it was just what happened next was the the problem and going back to the original point about the the kickoff time that happens here as well you know from i'm thinking about you know the 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 sort of the insignificance of of some rivalries now i look at i look at them with, with with watford and luton for example they will play that game as early as they possibly can to avoid well, trouble Adam, you know, they'll play I, I, it on this day, on this example. very pod yesterday we had we had with Laurie and david ornstein a discussion about what the met police are asking for as a ticket allocation for manchester united uh, when they go to stamford bridge in two two or three weeks and also kickoff times from from other games and i then read your piece and and the documentary and you know the these these things are suggested for a reason 
what what yeah. what yeah. whatever the country is and and sometimes i f- i feel like i feel like yesterday we were quite because it is an inconvenience for fans and it's been changed and so on and you you are quite bullshy about it and you want to be on the side of the fans most definitely because you don't want to be messed around and then 24 hours later we're doing this and your feelings in some ways go to the other extreme because sometimes these things are put in place to at the very very extreme level to try and protect lives and i think look the, the point that you made about the fact that the police asked they were told by the league so it was between the police and the league the league said no we want it at eight o'clock police said no let's have it at three thirty. Now, we want it at eight o'clock. And the background to that is we want it at prime time. It's a big game. It's a rivalry match. Um, and also the fact that there are no away fans there. You're also thinking about audience figures, who's going to be watching it, all that sort of stuff. So they stuck with that plan. And yeah, you're right that you then have a a, a police force that's thinking, OK, right, well, we feared. And they mentioned in the, the letter that they wrote to the league, we're acting on intelligence. Maybe they were worried about some fans from Persebaya, uh, Sudabaya, who were the, the rival team to Arema you know, making their way there or, or whatever it was, they were worried about it. And it's written down. And the response was not given that they would have liked. So yes, they are then going to think, right, do we do we go a bit more heavy handed? And that's that's basically what happened. Uh, and and one you talked about FIFA, um, and we've talked about the audit, I suppose the two things may come together to look at the use of tear gas which is against FIFA rules within Stadia. Tear gas can't be used. Has FIFA responded to that at all? It's been a bit strange, to be, to be brutally honest, that the reaction from, from FIFA. Now, Joko Widodo has, has spoken about the fact that he has been in communication with the FIFA the president. The president of the country, Fantino. sorry. The president of the country. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah the president of, of, um, of, of Indonesia. Um, and... He's spoken about the support that he has received from FIFA. And obviously they are interlinked because they have that automatic relationship whereby we are hosting a FIFA tournament. So they are going to be in conversation. So that's not necessarily out of the ordinary, but it seems as if FIFA are going to add support and help as much as they can in terms of you know sending staff and, and safety officials to make sure, double check, that everything is nailed on. So... It appears at the moment that they are treating this as, right, from Indonesia's point of view, to FIFA, we will work out exactly what happened here with our police. And we're pretty sure that this was an isolated incident in terms of the use of tear gas to that extreme. So trust us on that, FIFA. FIFA will obviously then want to go, right, well, we are watching really, really closely because if we are sending all the nations of the world to your country and this is going to be happening on a on a regular basis between now and 2023 then we can't be hosting a tournament there we just simply can't do it so at the moment it seems as it's a sort of a a very sort of sensitive but slow process to say right we are going to make sure that it doesn't happen and whether fifa are satisfied with that which it seems as if they are with that approach then we should get to a point where things do improve and hopefully that will be beyond this FIFA tournament in 2023. It will be for the for the goodness of the fans who are watching 
you know, week in, week out in the country, which is the most important thing. And that's the thing, you know, we're talking about all these logistics and, you know, these mechanisms of government and, you know, safety officials. And at the end of it, you've just got some fans that went to a football match and were caught in the most horrific circumstances. Mm. And, you know, not only not only adults, not only women, not only men, but so many children caught up in this, you know, a minimum of, of of 31 children were killed and that's that is a minimum level it is just, it's unthinkable there are people in their families you know that, that we mentioned in the piece you know i'm sure we'll talk about some of them as as well but you know i'm just thinking about two fathers lost both both their daughters and their wives in the incident there's you know two young footballers from a, a third division side lost and the woman that we spoke to in the piece, El Miati, who went with her son, went with her husband, and came home alone. It's just, it's just absolutely awful. It makes you sick to the stomach every time you think about it. It does, and and the article in particular is even harder to digest because there are there are photos of of the kids, and there are. And in fact, there's a YouTube video on, on, embedded in there of, I, I think that is El Miati's husband and 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 son at the game. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's that was um, Viadi, who is the three-year-old boy, who was taken to the game by El Miati and Rudy, the the father. And when we went to meet El Miati in her home in one of the the suburbs of of Milan. The way that she started speaking about the situation was like any other conversation that you would have had, you know, with your, with your own family. I think about speaking about my son going to to Watford with my mum, and we've recently got season tickets, and um, you know, he's he's ten years old, and oh, should we go to that game? Or oh, that will be yeah, that'd be a good one to go to. El Miati was speaking about it and saying, oh, well, look, because there's not any away fans there, it's probably a good one to go to this one. Why don't we go along as a family? It will be great. And then they took a video of Rudy lifting Virdi, the, the sun, up above, and he's got his flag and uh, his scarf. Normal. A normal situation, which turned into the worst possible scenario. And it's just, you know, it gives you goosebumps. The hairs on the back of your neck just stick up, even thinking about that. Even thinking about that being you yourself your family your loved ones a friend whoever it is the extension now goes out of you know I've, i feel like I've, I've made contact with these people and i've it just i feel now you, we can't we can't stop at we visited this is what happened let's get back to talking about the, the yeah. you know erlen erling harland yeah. you know it's this is this is a situation whereby there is so much truth that needs to out and justice that needs to be done for these people that were just normal people normal people going to a football match and and this awful awful situation then transpired afterwards uh, a final one really which will be familiar to to football fans here in the UK is how quickly do you think um they will get to the truth well Look, I think uh, what surprised me is the the speed at which 
it gathered pace over the course of a, of a week. I mean, I, I was on the plane. Um, I left on Sunday night and I arrived there on Tuesday morning. And, you know, during the entire entirety of the three flights that I had, you know, you can now have Wi-Fi on, on planes and things like that, that I was working throughout and we were gathering information as we went. So when we when we hit the ground running, you know, we were ready to chase things up. So there was already information emerging straight afterwards. And, you know, that information already, if you look at, and this is an important point, I think, the timeline that it appears um, unfolded was, and I'll be sort of quite clear in the, in the sort of the key phases. Yes, you know, end of game, pitch invasion, initial engagement of police, forcing fans back into the tribunes, as they call them. Then the use of tear gas on the pitch. Okay, fine. That then tells the fans to get straight back into the into the stands. But then the big change was tear gas heading into the stands, which then left fans who had nowhere to go heading for the exits. Now, meanwhile, the background to, to that was that there seems to have been, and this is backed up by some of the sources that we've spoken to, including some of the information that will be coming out in The Athletic soon, from the Persebaya team to get them out of the stadium very, very quickly, was, and this isn't verified yet, but it appears, and there have been some suggestions that this is what happened, that there was an action taken in the same way to delay the ambulances, which we heard about, to maybe delay the amount of fans that could get out into the outside of the stadium, around the VIP area, where they were trying to get the, the team coach away. And that area is the area around the stadium on the west side, which was impacted most, where the exits 13, 14, uh, 12, 11 as well, um, and also on the other side, which is 1, 2, 3 and 4, where we also know there was, there was loss of life as well. So we need to find out, and, and that will be... It will be on the CCTV and some of that CCTV has already been leaked and that is coming out. It will be on the CCTV if someone at any point made the decision to either not open the gates and normally they're open 85 minutes. That's been that is common practice, it seems. 85 minutes, they're open. So if people want to come out, they come out. If they were open and the decision was made to close them, it will be on the CCTV. If they were only partially open, why were they only partially open? It will be there. The truth is there. I've been there and I've seen the gates and I've seen the CCTV, the little white CCTV cameras over pretty much every gate. It will be there. And however people want to spin it, whether it was, you know, from the police point of view, fans were drinking alcohol or fans were too aggressive. Fine. That's fine. If you want to put that, put that out there, fine. But this wouldn't have happened if one, you hadn't fired tear gas into the stands, and two, if there if every gate was open and clear, fans would have been able to get out. It didn't happen in every 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 area of the ground, and there was no issue. The gates that were closed or partially open or open too late caused the issue because fans had been tear gassed and were rushing for the gates. It's it's quite simple. So it's almost as if the search for truth is we we know that these things happened. It's just whether anyone's going to admit that they happened because that then leads to a huge amount of culpability 
and there are certain people that have been um you know outed as as suspects by a police investigation and, and things like that but you know i think everyone knows that so many authoritative figures made catastrophic decisions in this and that's often what happens as we know in you know that the hillsborough disaster which everyone will have known and we know the length of time that it took for those um families of victims to to reach any modicum of of justice we know we know what happened at the kanjurahan stadium and we now need to ensure that the world is made aware that there were errors made and that they are brought to justice we have to have that for the sake of the the families impacted adam thank you for your time uh, and the documentary and uh, adam will obviously uh, have more on this on the athletic over the coming days and weeks and his article is there right now and is free to read on the athletic and we'll have another episode uh, tomorrow the athletic <laughs>